We're going to continue our work, because it is work, through the Beatitudes. I say it's work because a lot of times we just want things to hit us where we are. Like, a lot of times I think our approach to the things of God is, you know, I'm here. You know, it's not going to fall in your lap. I believe you got to bring something to the table for God to say, I'm, I'm, you, you brought something, I'm willing to work with you. Can you say amen? And so it's not just showing up. Is am I willing to do the work? Because the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I told you last week, going to the church is like going to the gym. It's a spiritual gym. And you don't go to the gym to look at the weights. You go to the gym to take selfies. You know some people don't work out, but they got like 40 selfies out of that day. You're like, man, if selfies were working out, you, you, you were, you're getting big. The only thing getting big is your head. Hello. <laughs> All right, I'll leave it alone. I can always tell when you guys are getting weird on me. I, I got the best seat in the house. I can see your faces. You know, you go from this to... And then it's, if there's conviction in the room, now it's like... Let me just read the Bible. Um, if you have your Bibles, we are in Matthew chapter 5. And this is week 3 of our eight-week journey through the Beatitudes. The things that Jesus says, this is what I'm calling you to be, a B-attitudes. The attitudes of a believer are as followers. First one is blessed are the poor in spirit. And we talked about how you don't get to second week without first going through week one. Like, it's impossible to understand how to mourn properly, properly if you're not poor in spirit. And if you're not poor in spirit, you're not mourning. If you're not mourning, then you don't get to today, which is blessed are the humble. Right? It's impossible to be rich in spirit, to not go through the process of mourning, than to get to be humble and inherit everything that you want. Because like I said, everything we want is on the other side of surrender. Can you say amen? So each week I want to read this from a different translation just to give fresh perspective on the word. And today we're going to read from the contemporary English Bible. It puts it this way. It says this. It says, happy, in other words, for blessed is what? Happy. Happy are people who are hopeless or poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. And then today, happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Can you say amen? Now, a quick recap. We've been talking about being free from past hurts, hang-ups, and addictions. And the point of this series is that we're all on a road to recovery because the reality is the way life is, we're either coming out of something going through something or about to get into something. Isn't that how life works? The moment you think you overcame something, something else goes, hello, uh, can we talk? <laughs> You're like, man, I am free from people pleasing. Codependence is like, hello, hi. Can we talk though? Am I talking to some humans in the house? Right? There's always something going on, and Jesus is trying to give us a template to overcome. The first thing we talked about was that you don't overcome anything without first coming out of what? 
out of denial. Some of y'all are paying attention. Some of y'all, maybe you're still in denial. You don't want to say it. You got to come out of denial. There's no freedom without first recognizing that I have a problem that leads to crying out to God because we can't be too proud to beg. Right? The poor in spirit is a beggar that says, I, I need help. And then it leads to getting a proper support system. We said that no man is an island. Sometimes healing comes through godly counsel, godly friends. And above all, sometimes the, the struggle is so deep that we need professional help. There's nothing wrong with crying out to professional help. But as we said, use discernment because there's a lot of loopy counselors out there. Matter of fact, some counselors need to be sitting on my couch. Like, you're a counselor, you need counseling. <laughs> so please use discernment on this because not every counselor, and I don't care if they have a big fish on their car. You know, the... <laughs> not a fan of bumper stickers. You know why I'm not a fan of bumper stickers? Because most bumper stickers will give Christians a bad name. It's the person with the bumper sticker that's saluting someone with the wrong finger. Saying hi. It's the person who was in church talking about, I surrender, get on the parking lot, about to cut somebody. It's like, please. That's why in this church, I don't recommend bumper stickers. Okay? I, like, I recommend a life that speaks. Hello. Some of y'all are like, but I have bumper stickers. I don't. It's, it's all right. You know? Just paint over it. <laughs> and we talked about mourning properly. Like, if we're going to get healing, we've got to learn to mourn properly. Mourning is not just losing someone. Mourning is losing a relationship. And sometimes when we don't mourn properly, we go into another relationship, and we're bringing the other relationship with us. That's why it doesn't matter what Jimmy does, he's never good enough because you're still thinking about Tom. And you didn't work out what Tom did or didn't do. And now every Jimmy has to pay for it. And we start making general statements, all men. It's like, no, don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that on. <laughs> Not all men are the same. Come on, somebody. Let's, let's be real. Right? If you don't mourn properly, you come from another church and you bring the baggage with you. Right? Sometimes God will move you to another season in another community, but you got to understand that he's moving you forward, not backwards, and get you stuck in the back. you got to move forward. And I've always said this, when you find the perfect church, let me know because I want to send my kids there. Save them the headache. I believe that we are a dysfunctional, anointed family. If you don't believe me, look at your family. Every family got that crazy uncle. Every family got that messed up auntie. We're like, auntie, it's Thanksgiving. Why are you giving kids liquor? Like, what's good? <laughs> It's, that's, that's, that's too real. <laughs> Auntie's in the back, in the backyard, like, kids, want some treat? <laughs> it's like, Auntie, don't invite Auntie back to Thanksgiving. She's ruining everybody. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I believe that there's, there's no such thing as a perfect church because the moment you walked in, it became a little less perfect. <laughs> Which leads us to... Jesus said, blessed are the humble or the meek. 
I don't know about you, but when I'm studying this, it feels counterproductive to happiness. I feel like everything Jesus is saying makes absolutely no sense in the natural. I don't know about you, I was thinking about this. I'm like, if I am putting together a message on happiness, none of this is making the list. It's probably not making your list either. Like, when was the last time you thought about being happy? You're like, I need to be poor in spirit. I need to be more meek in order to be happy. Like, everything that our society says is opposite of this. You know, if we were to be honest, the society says happier people who have all the hope in their stuff. And Christmas is coming. Let's get more stuff so we can be more happy and miserable. Happy are people who don't grieve. They celebrate and they pretend everything is good. Popping bottles, crying on the inside. Make it rain. And your heart's raining. It's got to be something else, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm live on TikTok. Happy are people who are prideful, who says, go for yours. And I don't think it takes any rocket science to realize, my goodness, we project happiness, but we ain't happy. We like the image of happiness versus the reality of happiness. We buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't even like. <laughs> Talking about, I'm happy. You, you got a crazy debt. And then the, the, the guy that you look down on, he's got his pinto, he's driving his pinto. He's debt free. Hello, somebody. Like, he's got no bills. He's actually free to live out his life and, and make decisions. Nothing wrong with both, though, let's be real. I want the bends, but the happiness. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Someone said, preach, thank you for being honest. Because the rest of y'all are playing like that church thing. No, I don't need it. I'm happy. I hate when Christians lie. Nothing wrong with nice things. As long as that nice things goes with a nice little heart for Jesus. Nothing wrong. You know, let's not play that game. You know, nothing wrong with it. But what Jesus is saying here is powerful. What he's saying is he's saying that it seems like everything you want is opposite of what the world is telling you. That's the struggle. Because we're both preaching. The world preaches, we preach. Like the world preaches more than we do. Like it's not a day that the world's not preaching to you. Just get out of here and you start seeing it. Billboards telling you what you need to be happy. You can't watch TV without the world telling you, hey, cut the commercial. Let me show you what you need to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. You ever watch the commercial? Like, like it's Mr. Clean, that the woman is miserable washing dishes. It's black and white. Her marriage is struggling because the dishes are struggling. <laughs> Mr. Clean rings the doorbell, shows up. Everything turns to color. All of a sudden, her marriage is amazing. The kids are behaving because the dishes are being done. It's like, you want to be happy? Get Mr. Clean into your life. 
the world preaches more than we do. Every song is telling you how to be happy. Adele cannot have a hit song unless she has a broken heart. I'm telling you, the only way she's going to keep a career is to keep having a broken heart. Because our best music comes out of a place of brokenness, and that will preach, my friends. That's why she makes an album every three years. <laughs> when things are good, there's no album. <laughs> a later single is about her divorce. Even Adele is trying to tell you, blessed are the brokenhearted, for they shall be healed. I don't even know how I got into that rant. Thank you. Someone likes Adele in the room. But here's what Jesus is saying. It seems like most people equate meekness with weakness. That's the struggle. That's why this doesn't preach because automatically we assume it's telling you to be weak. It's telling you to be a pushover. It's telling you to be a doormat. And everything within you resists that because you're like, no, there's no way I'm going to be happy by being meek. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's why it's important to study what he's trying to say to us. He's saying, listen, if you're broken in spirit, you mourn properly, it leads you to being a humble person because a humble person will inherit everything that he or she wants. The heart of Jesus' message is deeper than the surface because we're struggling because we're, we're getting preached off from the world standpoint. But everything he does is upside down. Jesus says, hey, you want to be first? Be what? What? Hey, you want to be great? Be what? Be a servant. He says, hey, you want to be number one? Be last, because you can't have two number ones. That would be 11. <laughs> Great theologian Ricky Bobby told us that. Shake and bake. It's totally upside down. It's an upside down kingdom. That makes no sense in a world that pushes me first. It's all about me, myself, and I. Me first. But what Jesus is saying here, saying meekness is so much deeper than you think it is. The Greek understanding of meekness is actually, it's this. This is the real thing that Jesus is trying to say to us. That being humble and meek is having strength under control. And I don't know anyone in the world that doesn't, have, who doesn't want to have strength under control. Because it's strength under control that helps you overcome your past hurts. It's strength under control that gives you the strength to not keep hitting the wall of hang-ups. Where you, you, you know, you've been there, right? You make two steps forwards and then seven backwards. Why? Because of one moment of not having strength under control. It's strength under control that overcomes addiction. Because, my friends, I've been telling you this. I pray you catch this. Addiction is never the point. It's the why behind the addiction. There's usually something that's holding you back because there's a lack of strength under control. The, 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 the image here that the Bible is giving you is like taking a wild horse, like a wild stallion who has a lot of strength. But that strength is good for nothing until someone coaches this wild beast to be tamed so that that wild beast can actually have purpose with that strength. 
This is what the Bible, this is what Jesus is saying. Don't you understand how much strength it takes to get on the cross and not while out? He said, hey, right now I can call a legion of angels. You know how many legions of angels? Millions. Talking about strength under control. This is why he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. It takes more strength to forgive than to hold the bitterness. It takes more strength to not want to take revenge when you've been hurt. It takes more strength to stay disciplined where everybody's wilding out around you. It's not easy. But man, we want it so bad to have strength under control. We are sitting in a room under a lot of lights. Do you understand that electricity in its proper context is good for us? But take one of them out of context, all hell breaks loose. Why? Because it's power that needs to be restricted to have purpose. You know how many people have lost what's most dear to them because of lack of self-control? Like I said, I surrender, I surrender all. And in the parking lot, we lose our blessings. Because one person cut you off and all of it went out the window. I surrender, I surrender all. And on Monday, your boss calls you out about something. You while out and you lose the very job that you prayed for. I surrender, I surrender all. Jesus says, hey, let go of that toxic relationship so I can actually bless you. Yeah, but I didn't mean it like that, Jesus. <laughs> it's strength under control that keeps you from getting from bad relationship to bad relationship, hoping that this one will work out, but not realizing that the common denominator is not the relationship, it's you in that relationship. It takes strength to be alone. Sometimes the best season of your life is being alone to really find yourself. Because it takes strength to look at yourself without having to project yourself to other people and actually like yourself. A lot of people are in bad relationships because they don't like their own selves. Thank you. Let's go. The stallion becomes useful. Electricity becomes useful. You and I become useful when we have strength under control. That's what we want. Because meekness is surrendering. If you pay attention the way we line up our music, if you pay attention to the lyrics, go backwards, you see everything we're trying to tell you is here. We work on this every week. Like every song we're trying to say is, hey, we're, we're speaking one language here. The language of surrendering. It is agreeing to do what God wants done in my life. So willingness, this, this rubs against the grain of our selfish nature. Willingness to submit and work under proper authority which is the authority of the Holy Spirit. That's what meekness is. It's, watch this, it's letting go of one's rights and privileges. Do you know why most people are not happy? Because they have a spirit of entitlement. 
Nothing worse than having someone living under your roof under the age of 18 and feel entitled to everything. Nothing worse than paying an employee under your office and they feel entitled to that job that you're paying them to do. Nothing worse than living with someone who feels entitled in that relationship. Ooh, uh, quiet. <laughs> Nothing worse than living like you owe someone something. The Bible says the only thing we owe each other is love. Tell you, entitlement is raising a lot of Barbies. We think that TikTok is real life. Entitlement has made everyone a theologian, a politician, a, a therapist, a counselor. Everybody with, with a Facebook page, everybody with a Twitter account thinks now they are experts with no experiences. <laughs> entitlement is the guy who is not married giving you marriage advice. <laughs> Talking about your whoop. It's like, where are you going with that entitlement? Quiet. Listen. The meek are those who humbly seek God. I love this quote. They are neither too bold nor too timid. They're right in step with God. Because the way we are is, depending on your personality, where some of us are too bold and some of us are too timid. Because we equate meekness with being timid. But the Bible tells you last week, remember, God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and sound mind. You could be shy, but timidity can hold you back from the will of God. And those, on the other side of that is, those who are too bold, they, because of lack of strength under control, Instead of being bold, they become jerks. You don't believe me? Go check YouTube. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's, it's living under the strength of the, of the Holy Spirit, where I don't have to be too bold, I don't have to be too timid. I just got to be who God's called me to be in the situation, in the circumstance, and not have to go to extremes, because the problem is we're creatures of extremes. It's either all here or all here. Right, we live in that crazy pendulum. We swing, you know. We're either super nice and we're either jerks. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes and says, let me teach you how to have strength under control. But we know we have, we have multiple enemies that comes against what it means to be meek and humble. And I want to talk about this because... Like I've been saying, we have to pinpoint where we are in this journey, what's holding us back from truly having this strength under control. And I want to talk to you about some things that, that I believe, if you're paying attention, one of them is active in your life right now that's holding you back from true surrendering. The number one, the obvious one, is pride. Pride keeps a lot of people from getting a breakthrough. 
The Bible says this about pride. There's many things the Bible says, but let me give you just one example. In Proverbs, it says this about pride. It says, pride becomes before a disaster, but humility comes before respect. So many people don't get past their hurts, hang-ups, and addiction because their pride gets the best of them. Can't help it. We have to say something. We have to do something. We have to respond. We have to, to, to counteract. We have to counterattack. We have to, we have to, we have to. Because pride is in the way. The Bible tells us that it takes more strength to be humble and prideful. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why? Because humility opens the door for grace. Pride closes the door to grace. I heard the story of, of a man who was in a, in a city bus, sitting in the back, and some dudes were roasting him and getting on him. And he was quiet the whole time, and they just kept going at it. Every, every stop, they were just getting on him, making fun of his looks, making fun of his face. And, and he's just sitting there taking it, and he got to his bus stop, and he and he was getting ready to leave, and, he, and he's stepping out, and they're still roasting him. He, he, he reached into his pocket, and he gave them a business card. It had his name on it. Under it, it says, professional boxer. Because <laughs> pride comes before a disaster. But humility comes before respect. Isn't it amazing how many people face because you catch that person on the wrong spiritual way disaster how many people keep their mouth shut the bible mouth shut we think that strength looks like good to say sometimes it's best to keep you you know sometimes you just gotta be like with the opposition we should say god bless i'm a back though can you say amen the second thing the enemy of your meekness and humility strength under control is guilt this is an interesting one because you wouldn't think, again, it doesn't make the list. But guilt can make us ashamed to ask God for help. How many people are stuck because their guilt won't let them cry out? There are people who are not in church today because whatever happened during the week made them ashamed and guilt to not come to church. But my friends... I don't know about you, but the whole thing is that you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's the grace of God freely given to those who don't think they have it. So the struggle is, is when we live by merits instead of living by grace. So you think you, you earn your way to worship today? If you did, you became your own God. You created your own point system and says, you know what? I had a good week, so here we go. But I don't know about you, the more you have a bad week, the more I need to be like, here I go, God, because I can't make it without you. I need you in my life. I'm not afraid. I'm not too proud to beg you to come and heal me and restore me and wash the sins away and wash my shame away because you said if I cry out to you, you would heal me in my moment of dysfunction. What a shame to be in a place of healing and to go home still carrying my own shame. Guilt, my friends. It's not from God. You know, sometimes you invite people to church, they're like, if I go the whole thing, it's going <laughs> to... And you're like, that, that's, a, 
That's a form of pride. You know that, right? You're saying that what you've done is worse than what God has done for you. It sounds cool, but it's not. It's actually what's keeping you from the breakthrough that God wants to do in your life. Because here we are right here, and a lot of y'all, place is still standing. <laughs> Jesus said, asking you shall receive. Don't be too proud to beg. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. There's nothing too big or too small for God. And he's never shocked, by the way. It's not like he's going, oh, my God, you did that? Yeah. Angels, oh, my. This is rated R. Like, <laughs> if you read the Bible, you know it's rated R. Like, God's like, I ain't hiding nothing. Bring the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm a God. They can turn messes into messages. This is what I'm all about. Bring your shame. Bring your guilt. And let's be real. There's... There's healthy guilt, you know. If a guilt is leading you to repentance and change, that's a healthy guilt. What you don't want is to become numb to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is, I think this is where most people struggle, is fear. Better yet, unhealthy fear, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Question is, is, is what are you afraid of what you might have to give up? Because here's how God works. God says surrender, but he doesn't show you what's on the other side until you surrender. Do you ever watch those, those shows where they're like, hey, there's three doors. You got to pick one, but you don't know what's on the other side. And you're like, oh, my God, what, what's on the other side, though? And God's like, I'm not going to tell you until you surrender. Everything we want is on the other side of surrender, but God's not going to tell you what it looks like until you trust him for where you are. And so here's the struggle for all of us. We're like, can I just peek, though? Some of us are like, if the door is here, we just want to be like this, like, 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 just in case, can I hold on to my hurt just in case it doesn't work out? Can I hold on to this relationship in case it doesn't work out? Can I hold on to this addiction in case it doesn't work out? And we live in this limbo, and we're more miserable than ever because now... We haven't crossed the line to make a decision to say, God, if you're calling me to surrender, it's because you're a good God. And what you have on the other side is so much better, so much bigger than I could ever imagine. But you won't know that until you actually activate faith. Afraid to lose control is where a lot of people are. This is why some people would rather be in a terrible, abusive relationship than to be alone. Afraid of what it looks like to, to face yourself. People will stay in a terrible job for years afraid of what it looks like to trust God with a better one. Fear. What, what, what's going to happen if I, if I let go? That's the thing with fear, man. It will keep gripping you until you let go. Here's one. <laughs> We are afraid that we're going to be controlled by something. Which is so interesting as humans because, because the reality is you are already controlled by something. Even the guy who loves to tell you like he's free to do whatever, he's like, yeah, but then why, why you keep doing the same thing? Every human being is controlled by something and sometimes by someone. 
That's the reality. It's not like none of us is a free agent in this life. Like you don't really get to choose who you play for because who you play for is why you're making certain decisions and choices. But we like the, the look of free agency versus the reality that, no, you're not a free agent. You are addicted. You are hurt. You are broken. You are vengeful. You are prideful. There's something controlling you. So the Bible makes it clear. It's like, listen, the reality is something or someone's controlling you. The key is, who do you want to control you? That's the choice you have in the matter. It's not that you're going to be controlled or not. It's like, no, who do you want to control you? The Bible makes it clear that, listen, you're either going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to righteousness. Either way, you're a slave. Right? Watch this. Romans 6. Paul says this. He says, go ahead. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Either way, you're going to be a slave. So the key is, who's your master? <laughs> In other words, true freedom is not, I do whatever I want to do. No, true freedom is doing what I need to do. Because no one in their right mind wants to do whatever they want to do. Now that's a word. It's, it's because you want to do whatever you want to do that you're addicted. No one, grew, no one got up and said, hey, when I grow up, I'm going to be addicted. But whatever you keep obeying has made you addicted. No one wants to be in terrible relationships, but whatever relationship you keep getting into, until you get to the common denominator, you're the problem. You're not going to see the reality of this. Here's another one. This might mess you up. I think that some people are afraid that if I surrender to God, I'm going to become one of those religious fanatics. Can we be honest in church for a second? Right? Like there's that fear of, I just don't want to like, I don't want to go too far with this thing. Like I, I, I want, you know I mean? The thing is cool. I like the songs and everything, but I, I, I'm just here to... Dip my toes. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I, I want to be able to be, like, in and out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be one of those people. You know those people. You know those people. I, I don't want to, like, I, I, I'm cool with church and everything, but I, I just, eh. You know, like, I, I dip my toes and I'm, I'm, I'm good because I don't want to turn into those religious fanatics. Here's the reality, my friends. There's a real difference between being a religious fanatic and being a follower of Jesus. If you're following Jesus, being a religious fanatic is the, is, the, is the last of your worries. Because here's the truth of the matter. Jesus actually makes you better at life. And life is better with Jesus in the middle of it. So we're talking a major difference between being ISIS and being a follower of Jesus. But, but like I said, every family has religious nuts. We're a trill mix. (laughs) 
You got your almonds in there. You got your peanuts in there. You got your nuts too. <laughs> and if you ain't laughing, you, you might. <laughs> You're like, ah! You might be that guy. But no, my friends, Jesus, to me, man, he frees you. Because the truth is, though, the real question there is not, am I becoming a religious fanatic? The true question there is, am I done trying to please everybody? Because behind the question is always a question. It's not, am I worried about being a religious fanatic? It's like, now how does this look and look and look to my friends? Because we thought peer pressure ended in high school. No, 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 I see it in adults all the time. It's like... You know, so like that, my friends are not going to think I became something else. In the meantime, your friends are outside of God's will and you join them. Because you didn't cross over to real life. You did religion, but you didn't need Jesus. It's like, um, you ever see, <laughs> sometimes we invite someone to church and we're nervous. You're like, man, I hope this is going to be one of those good services. Good <laughs> And, and, and good is according to your standard of good. So here you go. You bring your friend. You don't want to be a religious fanatic. The friend's to your left. You, you, you usually worship freely, but today you're, you're over here. I'm in the Nemo zone today. I mean, I call this the finding Nemo fin. Because it's like, I, I can't, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that religious fanatic guy. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang here. And then you're nervous because you're like, what's the pastor going to preach about today? And then I come up here and I go, let's talk about hell. And you're like, it's usually never like this. Like, uh, usually he's, he's, he's really nice and he's happy and he wears Jordans. He's a really cool guy. Man, maybe he's having one of those weeks, but it's usually not like this. Come back next week. Next week I'm like, hell part two. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because we got to get to the place that we realize that we're going to please Jesus or we're going to worry about people's opinions of who we are. We're either going to step over the line or we're not going to step over the line and stop getting in the way of what Jesus wants to do in other people's lives because the very thing you're trying to hold them back from is what Jesus is trying to set them free from. And when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed to be yourself, to lift your hands, to shout, to scream, to exalt him, to praise him because he doesn't care about man's Opinions. You got grown men and women worrying about someone who's not even doing God's will. Living rent-free in your mind. And losing in the process. Because the true question is, it's not if you're going to be a religious fanatic. The question is, are you going to follow Jesus? Or are you going to worry about people's opinions? In Christianity, we lose to gain. You lose reputation, but you gain access. You lose popularity, but you get the passcode. Next is worry. Are you guys good? Worry keeps you from having strength under control because worry is, is, is the thing that never goes away 
unless you've surrendered. There's always another thing to worry about. You're never going to live a life without something that you need to, like right now, if I was to go into your minds, you're worried about something. And Jesus said, when was the last time you worried yourself into a breakthrough? When was the last time you worried all night and the next day you got a breakthrough? Jesus said, let each day have his own troubles. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and I will take care of everything else. Step over the line, I'll meet you there. That's what Jesus is saying. In other words, my job is to trust his job is to work it out. The problem is we want to be the, the, the decision maker and the problem solver. And we get stuck. What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And then you end up not living because you're living in what if? What if I let go of that relationship? The question is what if you don't? I lost my job. What if I can't make ends meet? Well, you lost your job, but who provided for the job in the first place? Yeah. Worry doesn't add anything to your life. I don't know how God's going to do it. I just, I have enough track record to know that he will do it. So when I find myself worried, let me give you a, 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 a life hack. In your worry, begin to count your blessings. Remind yourself, self, how many times has he come through? How many times has he done this? How many times? Like, count all the blessings and, sh and show how good God has been in this journey. And lastly, is five is doubt. Now, doubt is interesting because doubt is not the opposite of faith, okay? Doubt is part of life. I, I will tell you this. If you don't doubt, you're not human. Uh, like last week, we talked about earth, right? We show you earth suspended in the middle of nowhere. We're running 1,000 miles an hour. Like we, we depend on the sun, and a meteorite can hit us any moment, you know. And now I'm just added worry to your life. <laughs> a meteorite can hit us any moment. How do we defend from that? You don't. <laughs> you don't. I don't care how deep your bunker is. Uh, anyway. <laughs> suspended in the middle of nowhere. We only know 4%, 96% of it is black holes and stuff we don't even know about. Somehow there's a force, a reality that governs the universe. We call him God. So to doubt is human. How can you not? How can you not have days you go, look, is this really working out? Is someone really out there? So that's not the problem. The problem is not doubt. The problem is, is what you do with the doubts. Doubt should drive you deeper into your faith, not away from it. So doubt is not the opposite of faith. You know what the opposite of faith is? Self. It's when I decide I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this thing out on my own. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is a man who came to Jesus and he wanted his son to be healed and the disciples couldn't do it. And Jesus said, do you believe I can do this? And the man was like, listen, I do, but listen, there's a part of me. So help my unbelief. I love that prayer. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, help the part of me that's doubting. And what does Jesus say? You little doubter. doesn't say that. He heals the kid. And then he says, hey, all you need is faith like a mustard seed. You know what big a mustard seed is? It's this small. If I had it up here, you'd even see it. Because it's not how big your faith is. It's how big the object of your faith is. 
faith is universal. Everybody has faith. Even an atheist has faith. To look at the whole universe and say, no way, there's no creator. We came from nothing, we're going to nothing, we just evolve over something. That's a lot of faith. It takes faith to be agnostic. It takes faith to be a Buddhist. It takes faith to be a Muslim. It takes faith, my friends. It's not a question of faith, it's a question of the object of your faith. Today, all of you already exercise faith in this room. All of you came in, sat down on those chairs. You didn't check to see if it's going to hold you. You trusted that the chair was made to hold you. I didn't see any of y'all going under and checking all the screws and making sure I'm good to go. Because what is faith? Faith is trusting that the God who says I will do it, will do it. And no matter how he does it, I don't know how, but I'm going to trust that he's got my back. I'm putting my weight on him. That's what you just did. Just put on weight on this God. It says I govern the universe. So it's not the size of your faith that matters. So let me conclude. Every week when I study, I go to about three or four sources. Basically every week a message is a research paper. So you're welcome. Yeah, some of y'all are like, yeah, Yo, you were really funny today. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm sweating up here. You're really funny. Sweating all week trying to put together a message. But here's the thing. For this one, this series, I've been relying heavily on a man's teaching who started a ministry over 30 years ago called Celebrate Recovery. John Baker is his name. The name of the book is Life's Healing Choices. This man used to struggle with drinking. And found that going through the Beatitudes, he found these are the steps, the keys to healing and restoration. It's actually the, the bedrock and the foundation of the 12 steps used out there. I told you, it's all Christian. But he talks about, in his book, I want to give him a shout out because I'm plagiarizing a lot. So if they come after me, I made it public. talks about how God comes into our lives in phases. He says there's a, there's a process that God takes you through. We all want the final product, but God doesn't work that way. God works the process. He says it's interesting. He said, he said if you study World War II, it's how we were able to win the war. He says specifically if you study how we battle Japan and islands. It says in each island, there's two things that we did to win the war. It says phase one was we just had air assault. We just dropped bombs. He says, he says he calls that the softening up stage or phase. He says sometimes in life you feel like you're just hitting with, you're just getting hit with bombs after bombs. And in the natural, it's easy to say, man, God, what, what are you? What's going on? But he's saying what you don't see is that that's how God softened you up to be able to receive. He says if he doesn't soften you up, then you don't understand what pouring spirit is and how much of a blessing that is. He says if he doesn't soften you up, you don't know how to properly mourn. You will continue to be bitter instead of better. He says if he doesn't soften you up, you don't understand that the humble truly inherits everything he wants. 
but he takes you through this process of softening you up. Maybe a lot of you in this room are watching online, you're in that process right now, there's bombs after bombs dropping, and you're like, man, I can't, I can't seem to catch a break. And it's interesting, though, is a lot of you guys have said this. You say, man, I come to church, all I do is cry. That's a good sign. I mean, God is softening you up. Because we're like onions, man. We got to get peeled. And what do when you when you when you when you cutting up onions? What happens? And I don't know about you. The older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing how much softening up I need. Because over time, what do we do? We build up resistance. We build up resistance to change. And so God has to first take us through the process of softening you, in order to receive phase two. He says phase two. He says, you see this in every single war we took on these islands. He says, after softening up, we, we established what, what they call a beachhead. So they'll send the ground troops to, to take maybe 20 yards of the island and, and maybe 100 feet long. But it's like once they establish their beachhead, it's over. It says we're undefeated once we establish that. It says that there might be this, these, these back and forth push. It says you might lose. And what he's saying is, is that, man, how, once that I put my foot with a setback, it's a setup. He says, walk forward and get pushed back. Once God establishes us, even when you lose, you win. He's not a God that does anything half-hearted. God has already established a beach. It's to put your foot down and he, The key, though, is where you got to locate. You, you just, God is just about the land. And for, that, for you, this is what it looks like. It's right here in Accepting Jesus as your Savior. Some of y'all, that's your first step. You've been to church. Yes, you are a good person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being saved. I'm talking about when you release control and you're like, man, I need a Savior. I'm tired of doing life on my own. I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of going through the motions. And some of y'all, you did accept Christ, but you've backslidden. And you need to reestablish that beachhead in your life. You need to recommit your life to him. Because, listen, Jesus does not do any work where he's not first the Lord. Sometimes he will let you struggle until you realize, man, I need to cry out. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your entire household. I told you, God always starts with one person. Starts with one and he begins the domino effect. For some of y'all... Maybe you already established that and he wants to take more ground in your life. You know how he does this? Number two, is some of y'all need to accept God's word as your standard. Some of y'all, the reason why you're not making progress is because your standard is your feelings. Your standard is your emotions. Your standard is the world. You're, you, you want Jesus, but you're acting like the world. And you're not going to see more progress in your life until this becomes the standard. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know what he was saying? Hey, everything you read in here, that's me. I'm the word of life. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. If you don't establish that this is your standard, your manual for living, you're going to keep making up ways to live. Some people act like this is a buffet, and the more you skip over the stuff that you need in your life, the more you're going to lose ground. The word says every scripture, every scripture, every scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character. That's what the Bible is about. 
That's why I love how raw the Bible is. It doesn't hide anything. The good, the bad, and the ugly is there. It's like, hey, you, gotta, you better learn from the good, the bad, and the ugly. The only hero in the Bible is Jesus. That's the only perfect one. And Jesus himself told us, hey, don't live by your feelings or your needs. Live by the word. Every word. We need to establish the standard of God. Like, I need to start my day. I don't know how you do it, but there's never a day that I don't start with the word. Because my feelings will lie to me. My emotions will lie to me. And the moment I wake up, the world starts preaching. And I need to preach to myself first before I preach to anybody else. And I start in the word. For some of y'all, you're here. And the third one, listen, you need to learn to accept God's will as your purpose. My friends, listen to me. You can come to church. It doesn't mean you're living according to God's will for you. God's will is what this man prayed in Psalm 40. He says, I want to do your will, my God. Your instruction, instruction is another word for this. Is deep within me. Another psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. That's the only way I'm going to move forward and take more progress in this journey. It's when God's will becomes my will. You know what, what Jesus said? The Father, sorry, said, he said, the struggle with humanity is my thoughts is not their thoughts. My ways are not their ways. You know, you can come to church and I have godly thoughts and I'll have godly ways at all. Because you haven't accepted his will. And then lastly, some of y'all are here. It's to accept God's power as your strength. This has been the common theme of this series. We keep trying to do things on our own. Pushing on our own. And he says, hey, I'm going to keep holding back until you realize you can't. Paul tells us this in Philippians. He says, I can endure all these things. What are these things? Past hurts, disappointments, battles, struggles. Through the power of the one who gives me strength. Until you get tired of being tired, you're not going to see a breakthrough. Until we come out of denial and cry out and mourn properly and embrace humility as strength under control. We're not going to continue to see the progress we want to see. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? I'm going to invite you to bow our heads. Why do we do that? Just to not worry about your friend that you brought to church next to you. Let God deal with them as he deals with you. By the way, isn't it funny sometimes you're you in church and you hear a message, you go, man, I wish such and such was here. And God's like, you're here. <laughs> let's, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come now and and confirm your word as only you can. There are things that you want to do in us that I will never be able to do justice. Only you know the heart, you know the mind, you know the struggles. You know where we are, you know where we need to be. I pray today you empower us to take the next step forward. I pray for those who need to surrender their lives to you. To embrace you as their Lord and Savior. I pray right now they make their commitment to you to to surrender fully to you. I pray for those who we need to accept that your word, not our feelings, should be our standard. Not the world. I pray for those who need to accept your will as their purpose. And for those who need to
plug into your power so they don't keep making the same mistakes and keep hitting a wall. Holy Spirit, confirm your word in our hearts. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.